I invite you to take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and uh, go to Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter number 6. This is the 18th in a series of messages on the local church. And today and maybe next Sunday, I'm not exactly sure, I may finish this particular text on next Lord's Day, but we'll probably be looking at the incarnation, the birth of our Lord in the coming in the coming weeks, and then pick back up first of the year on a few more messages regarding uh, local church membership. But I want us to look at Galatians chapter number 6, and we want to read the first six verses And you follow with us in the Scriptures at the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Galatia. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word, communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. We thank God this morning again for the reading of his precious word. Without raising your hands or answering audibly, how many people here this morning have the responsibility of watching over someone else. If you are a parent, you know something about watching over your children. And then there are children here today who are now under the responsibility of watching over a parent or parents. There are brothers and sisters here this morning who watch over each other, neighbors who watch after neighbors, And in this building this morning, there are paid professionals who watch over others, some in a classroom setting, others at a health care facility. There are people who help watch over others' finances, over their property, and on and on the list could go. I fit into more of those categories than I care to fit in. But often the heaviest being a pastor is what the Hebrew writer described in Hebrews 13, 17, where he says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. But I think most of us this morning understand to some degree the importance the necessity, the responsibility, the accountability that comes with watching over someone. 
And one essential element in the responsibility of watching over someone is that of love. Love is one of the many proofs of Christianity. Speaking to His disciples in John 13, our Lord said this to them, By this shall all men know that ye are My disciples, if ye have love one to another. He was saying to them, This love that you have one to another is a special kind of love. It's a sacrificial love. It's the same kind of love that I had for you in that I sacrificed Myself for your well-being. I sacrificed myself for your salvation, and I gave myself to look after you. I do that without, without ever considering the cost. I don't ever back away, Jesus said. And He says that to them, that, that this lost world will know that you truly belong to me as you exhibit the same love one for another that I exhibited for you. As I have mentioned in the past, 16 or 17 weeks, I want to remind you again that in the coming weeks we will be presenting to our church family a revised church covenant, a statement of faith, guidelines for biblical membership. We'll be presenting that in the days ahead. And this covenant that we will present is a promise that we make to the Lord and to each other about how we're going to live out our faith and how we're going to care one for another. If you remember the original church covenant, what we call the church covenant that used to hang in most of our Baptist churches, the opening words of that fourth paragraph in that covenant reads, We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love. And that is based upon the Scripture. It's based upon what Christ teaches us to do. And here in Galatians 6, as we'll see in just a moment, Our Lord is presenting here through the hands of the Apostle Paul to the church at Galatia what it means to really watch over one another and to care for one another in Christian love. And I trust this morning that this church, West Lenore Baptist Church, especially in light of what is ahead for believers, in light of the the coming persecution and the coming rejection and the coming suffering that looms in our future because of the gospel of Christ. I hope that we'll understand how much we need to watch over one another in Christian love. Oftentimes you hear churches talk about wanting to be a Christian church. You hear messages preached about revival and about how we want to be like the early church. But if you know what was characteristic of that early church, it was this. They suffered for the gospel. They suffered for the cause of Christ. But they genuinely cared one for another. They loved each other. They sacrificed for each other. They disciplined whenever sin was present. And they loved and they restored and and they repented and they came together in fellowship because of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. And that's difficult for us in our culture. We sit here this morning as independent American Christians. We have been raised to be independent. We've been raised to be self-sufficient. We have been raised to be wealthy. We have been raised to feel that we are entitled and that our sins are somehow not as bad as those of heathen lands and those of people who have not had the blessings that we have. But I remind you, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. 
Christ is saying Christianity is not identified by the wealth of a church. Christianity is not identified by our independence, by our pride, or by our track record. Christianity is identified by how people love one another and how they care. Look with me at our text this morning in these opening six verses of Galatians chapter 6. I chose this passage this morning, although it doesn't mention love per se, it is a, it is a beautiful picture of how the church is to watch over each other in Christian love. It's not a comprehensive passage. It doesn't deal with every element of that. But it has, there's a lot in these verses. There's, there's great truth in these verses that teach us how to watch over each other in Christian love. The local church, our local church here at West Lenore, is, is a Christian family, a Christian community. And one thing the Christian family does is they watch over each other. They care for each other in Christian love. It doesn't mean that we look over sin. It doesn't mean that we ignore our failures. It doesn't mean that we sweep our weaknesses and our sins under the rug. But it means that we deal with each other biblically and we truly care about each other and we handle it the way God says handle it in the Scriptures. We are to help bear one another's burdens. We are to understand in verse 5 that sometimes we bear our own burdens. But I want us to focus this morning primarily on verse number 1 where we are to watch over each other when we have sinned and when we have failed and when we need to be restored back to a right relationship with Christ and His church. Paul is dealing with this in the church at Galatia. Understand, if you will, briefly the context in which the apostle is writing these words. The Galatian Christians had been justified by God's grace and their faith had been placed in Christ. But soon after, the teachers came back and wanted to pull these Galatian believers back under the bondage of legalism. They wanted them to move away from the liberty they had in Christ and go back to living under their legalistic view of the gospel. And they were putting pressure upon them in regards to their salvation and their justification. And they're saying that it's not by grace alone, but it's a combination of law and grace in which you are to be justified. And Paul wrote to them and said, This gospel that the false teachers are teaching is no gospel at all. It's another gospel. It's contrary to the Word of God. Wherever there is legalism, there is always at the root of that legalism uh, a bitterness of spiritual pride. And that is what fuels this idea that somehow we are better than others or somehow that, that other people sin but yet we don't. Or some people uh, can do certain things and others don't. We tend to look down on others and we elevate our own opinions of ourselves when in fact we all fall. We all fail and come short of the glory of God. That's why He put us in a local church where we could look over each other, look after each other, watch over each other, and help restore each other in Christian love. We are not here as God's people to make the situation worse. God's people are here to help. We're not here to condemn. We're here to help. We are not here to be judgmental. We are not here to be condescending. We are here to help people be restored uh, to fellowship and to the love of Jesus Christ. I, didn't, I never want to be identified 
as Jesus identified the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 4. Listen how he, he defines them. He says, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Jesus said the Pharisees, they never make the situation better. They only make the situation worse. And then Jesus had said that, and Paul says, if you want to look back at chapter 5 and verse number 15, he said to this church, but if ye bide and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed of one another. He wanted the Christians at Galatia to understand they were not there to condemn. They were not there to be legalistic and harsh and bitter and judgmental and accusing. He said, that's not what you're here for. He said, brethren, if one of your, if one of your family, if one of, your, if one of the members of the local church at Galatia be overtaken in a fault, Paul said, ye which are spiritual are to restore that one. You're to watch over each other and you're to care about each other in Christian love. So we are not to be judgmental and harsh and legalistic. The church, when it gets like that, is not a pleasant thing to be around. I hope this morning that I can say that this congregation is not a legalistic church in the sense that we feel superior to those uh, who have sinned or those who've been overwhelmed by burdens. I've been around people like that who when uh, someone died in their family, they struggle with grief. And I've heard other Christians say, well, they need to get over it. My spouse died, it didn't bother me. My child died and it didn't, didn't bother me. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. We don't want to be that kind of people. We want to be the kind of people that care. The kind of people that when we see someone bearing a burden and they need help, we help them bear that burden. When we see there's some things that people have to bear by themselves, we pray for them and allow them to bear it. But then when we see someone who has fallen or someone who has failed, understand that it is part of our duty and calling as believers and brothers and sisters in Christ to help restore those individuals back to their relationship with Christ. Preacher, I didn't sign up for any of this. I just wanted to get saved, not go to hell and go to heaven. I'm not, I, I don't want to be a part of any of this. Well, that's the way it is when you're a part of a local church. That's the way God designed it. That's the way God planned it. And we are here to look after one another. So let me ask you this morning, do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ here at this church? If not, you need to repent. If I don't, I need to repent. We need to love and we need to care. When Christ saved us, when He saved us, He placed us, in local churches. When Christ saves people, He places them in local churches. When His Son was born, He placed Him in the family of, of Mary and Joseph. When someone is born from above, when they have regeneration and conversion and new life, then God places them alongside of brothers and sisters in Christ. As I have said repeatedly over the past 17 or 18 weeks, there are so many commands to us that cannot be fulfilled unless we are a part of a local church. It's difficult to obey Galatians 6.1 if you're not a part of a local church. It's difficult to obey Galatians 6.2 if you're not a part of a local church. In verse number 3, it's almost impossible to listen to verse 3 and not be a part of the family of God. 
and verse 4 and 5 and 6. I mean, these things are us being together. As a matter of fact, remember, Paul is writing to the church at Galatia, that local assembly in Galatia where the believers gathered together to worship Christ. We're here in the local church. We're here where people can know us. We're, peop- we're here where we can know them. And I know a lot of people today don't want to be around anybody that knows them. They don't want to be around anybody that understands them or anybody that sees their weaknesses or sees their strengths. Brother, that's why we need the church. I need to be known by people. I need for people to see my weaknesses so they can pray for me. I need people to understand my gifts and strength so that can be a blessing to the body of Christ. I need people that will share my burdens and my prayer requests and pray with me and for me. I need people to lift me up when I am down. I need people to encourage me on when when I need encouragement. I need people to help correct me when I am wrong. And I need people to help mold me and make me into the image of Christ. I need people to preach to me, sing to me, teach to me. I need that. And that's why God has placed each of us in His family. We are His local church. And if you think about the truth realized in our text here, it's impossible for any of this to happen if you are not a part of that local assembly. Look with me at verse number 1 this morning at watching and restoring a sinning brother. Watching and restoring a sinning brother. Watching over one another in Christian love. Listen to these words. Listen to the first word right out of the gate. Brethren. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Verse 1 is what I describe as the spiritual 911 call. It has a tone here of an unexpected emergency because we're shocked to hear about someone who has been overtaken in a fault, or they've been caught in sin. It also has the tone of an expected emergency because all of us struggle with the flesh and all of us struggle with sin and there's not one member of this church that has ever went through their entire life after joining a church without being overtaken or without sinning or without failing in some manner, shape, or form. But from time to time, sin is revealed. From time to time, sin breaks out. From time to time, it shows up on us. And everyone can see it. People hear about it. People know it. And what is a church family to do when that happens? We are, according to the Word of God, we are to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering our own self, lest we also be tempted. In other words, we're not to say, did you hear what so-and-so did? Man, I would never do that. My child would never do that. Go back and read this verse. He said, considering thyself, if it's happened to you, it can happen to me. If it's happened to your family, it can happen to mine. If it's happened to me, it can happen to you. If it's happened to my family, it can happen to your family because we're all of the same family. And brother, any of us can sin. Any of us can be overtaken in a fault. Any of us can sin and come short of the glory of God. Watching over each other in brotherly love. 
Notice in verse 1 first the condition of the sinning believer. Paul begins with the word brethren. The word, as you've heard me say repeatedly, it comes from that Greek word that means born from the same womb. Those who are the same people. Paul is saying to the Galatian church, Brethren, those of you who have come by the womb of the cross, those of you that have come by the way of Calvary, those of you who are truly Christians, he's saying if a man, if anyone among your assembly be overtaken in a fault, then he refers back to brethren and says, Ye, ye brethren which are spiritual, you need to restore that one in the spirit of meekness. And while you're doing that, consider yourself, lest you could be in the same situation they're in. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. If We are born from the same womb. Now, some of us in here today have the same mothers. They're present here today, but most of us are not sharers of the same fathers and mothers. But if you're in Christ today, thank God we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That goes deeper than denomination. That goes deeper than identification. I'm this kind of Baptist, or I'm that kind of Baptist. Brother, at the heart of who we are is the fact that we've been born of the same womb. We have all came by the way of the cross. And it is our duty, according to the text, to restore those who have been overtaken in a fault. Do you know someone today who's been overtaken in a fault? You probably do. If you know anyone today, you probably know someone. The word there, overtaken, means someone who's been captured or someone who's been seized. They've been overtaken in a fall. The idea here in the original language is, is they've been captured. But it goes more than that because in this situation, the thing that captured them, the fault, or the sin is their own responsibility. But something happened that seized them, or something happened that gripped them. It carries the meaning of a prisoner of war, or, or someone surprised, like a traveler who's caught by bandits, like that story of the Jericho Road in the Scripture, and the thieves that were there. Paul is saying to the Galatian church, if you know someone in your church who has been seized, or has been taken prisoner, because of sin, they've, they've stepped outside the boundaries of God's Word. They have moved away from the truth of God's Word. That man or that individual has, for whatever reason, yielded in some way to the truth of God. They've been surprised. They've been caught in that. Paul said, if you know someone like that, in that condition, Paul said, it's your responsibility to help restore that individual. There are some individuals, some believers, who willfully walk away from God and others who fail because of overwhelming temptation and sin. There are others who play with something thinking they're going to get by with it and then it catches them. There are some people who toy with sin and then actually stop sinning and move away from it only years later to have the fruits of it rise up and capture them. Paul's saying if you know someone like that in the family of God, then it's our responsibility to... Restore them. The condition of the sinning believer. Look secondly at the call here to the local church. In the, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. If 
You see a man been overtaken in, the, in a fall. Paul is not calling upon the state penitentiary system or the federal penitentiary system. They have their God-ordained duties under government. But he's calling upon the church. He's calling upon God's people. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. While our penitentiary system may have some limited powers to rehabilitate, to educate, and in certain situations legislate some type of morality, it is only God's people and the church of the living God who has the truth that can actually help a restoring believer make it right with God. I don't know any penitentiary system in our nation or probably in the world who demands that someone repent and be made right with God. That's not, their, that's not their job. But it is the message of the church. It is the message of the gospel. It is the message that you and I share that men get right with God, that men repent of their sin, that men come clean with God, that our brothers and sisters in Christ who have failed, that they come clean with God, experience the forgiveness of His mercy and grace, and be restored in fellowship to Him and to the church. The call is to us. Ye, when a brother or sister in Christ sins, a local church member, it is vital that you and I become active in the restoration of that believer. I've heard it said recently, I don't know how the preacher is going to get all of our members who aren't coming to come back. Let me go ahead and clear that up. I'm not. I'm not. If I read my Bible right, that says ye, not just me, okay? Ye, which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. It means we must take responsibility, as I said in the opening, for someone. If you know that someone that's been overtaken in a fault, then accept that responsibility, and ye who are spiritual, we'll talk about that in a moment, Restore that one in a spirit of meekness. This is a call to the local church that we become active. I was raised in the Trinity community in Ireland County. That's about four or five miles outside of Statesville at I-40 on Highway 115 North, just before you get to the Adkin River. I was raised in that community. was born there and raised there. Lived there till I moved years later to pastor. And my neighbors, I remember as a young boy, just a small boy, seven or eight years old, my, my neighbors, my uncle, my dad helped with this, and other volunteers for the, from the community, I remember them going up. They actually took garden tillers up on the side of the road and dug a footing to build a volunteer fire department, a one-truck volunteer fire department. I remember them doing that. Prior to that, in the 1960s, when I lived, Ardo County provided one county fire truck. It was housed at Statesville. And uh, when there was a fire in the county, that one truck was dispatched. And basically all it did was come and put water on the ashes. That's basically all that it did. Thank the Lord that has greatly improved. But I remember after that fire department was built, I remember every time I heard the siren I knew someone's house was in jeopardy. In a lot of cases, it was someone's barn. You would hear the siren go off after a major thunderstorm. Maybe a silo starting to smolder because of 
wet and dry silage put in, and you'll have to Google that, you folks that live in another generation, you'll have to Google all of that. But when I heard that go off, I knew something was in jeopardy, something was in danger, and it called upon those who could to be active. It's to the point that the church of Christ, our local church, has got to look at people's lives again. This isn't something trivial for somebody to say they are a Christian and never come to the house of God for eight or ten years. That's not trivial, friend. That's a burning house. That's a fatal accident. That is something that is eternally in jeopardy. Somebody's soul is hanging in the balance. This isn't someone who don't like the music and so they quit church. No, this is about their relationship to Christ and they need to be saved by God's grace or else as a believer they have committed sin and they need other believers to help restore them to fellowship with Christ. The call has went out to the church. Look at these words though. Ye which are spiritual. Now that has nothing to do with uh, shouting. It has nothing to do with, with running the aisles. It has not have anything to do with that. It's not talking about people who know more than God knows. That's not what that's talking about. He's talking about people who are spiritual. What are you talking about? Look back at chapter 5 with me in verse number 22 where Paul identifies this. Back up in verse 16, he said this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what Paul is saying over there is that if you're going to help someone, you can't be walking in the same flesh they're walking in. But look at who is spiritual, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, or goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Ye who are spiritual, those of you who are living a Spirit-filled life and bearing the fruit of the Spirit, you are to help restore people back in fellowship with God. And what's the first characteristic in verse 22 of Galatians 5? Love. Love. Joy and peace. Perhaps... You know someone this morning among our number where the adulterous relationship has been exposed. Preacher, what do I do? You restore such a one. You try to help restore such a one. Maybe, perhaps, uh, someone's addiction to internet pornography has been revealed. Preacher, what do I do? You, you help restore such a one to Christ. Perhaps, Someone you know has posted something on social media and it's went too far and somebody's been hurt by it. You help restore such a one. Perhaps the verbally abusive husband has been overheard in public and he's a member of this church. And that could go either way. You are to help restore such a one. Perhaps that man who cheated on his taxes 15, 20 years ago, and now he thinks everything's okay, but the audit just happened and he's caught. What do we do as the church family? We help restore such a one. Maybe the college student who you went to the graduation, everybody was happy, you had the party, you gave the gifts, only to find out six months later that his last term paper was totally plagiarized. What do we do? We help restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Are you responsible for anyone this morning? Are you, have you been placed under the care of watching over someone? Most of us in here have, 
physically speaking, but all of us who are a part of this church are responsible to help look after and to help restore. I don't want to be a part of a church that shoots its wounded. Amen? Uh, you know, you, you, don't, you, don't want to, you don't want to do that. They tell me that during the, I've read this, during the Korean War, if they could get a wounded American soldier to a mass unit, they had a 98% success rate of saving that life in Korea. 98% of wounded men that got to a mass unit where they could do triage, they would save that life. I wonder what the percentage is in our church. Ye who are spiritual, that's people who've been justified by faith, people whose lives are characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you don't love people, if you don't have any long-suffering, if you don't have any gentleness, if you don't have any of these things, you're not going to be able to help restore such a one. I mean, I don't want to go to ER today with two broke legs and a cracked skull and some nurse look down and say, get over it. I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to go that route. And I don't want to go to a church either where a preacher just continually hollers at me that I need to live right. I want somebody to watch over me in love, care for me, pray for me, hold me up, set a pattern for me, be with me, take the Word of God and help me, support me, bear my burdens when I need those burdens borne by other people. That's what a local church is. That's what we are as the family of God. Imagine if you went to a sinning brother or sister in Christ who may have been overtaken in a fault. And you went to them in love. And you went to them with joy in your heart over the opportunity to do that. And you went, with them, went to them in peace, knowing that you're doing the right thing because the Word of God says you're to do that. And you were kind in how you approached them. And you, you demonstrated goodness. And you were faithful. And you dealt with them gently. Paul says here it has to be done in the spirit of meekness. No pride, but in humility. In other words, you do what you do with total self-control. You're not arrogant. You're not making them think you're better than they are. You're not condescending to them. You don't excuse their sin. You take the word and make clearly uh, readable and understandable what they've done. But yet you're humble and loving and meek to them. Do you know what's going to happen? Likely, they're going to be restored. You say, why, preacher? Because that's the way God said do it. And when He says do something the right way, it needs to be done the right way. I'm going to stop here this morning. Lord willing, when we look at this next, we'll look at not only the, not only the calling here of the church, the condition of the sinner, but we're going to look at the correction, how we actually correct those people, what, what it is we actually do. And then we'll look a little more at that caution to ourselves as to what we are to avoid. There's about 10 or 15 men from our church currently serving on these different committees that I mentioned, and these groups. And I've been preaching and talking about church membership since August, over four months. Based on what I have seen and read in the rough drafts that these men have presented to me and that I've been a part of myself. Much of what I've seen, matter of fact, all of what I've seen has been biblical. It's very practical. It's understandable. Most of all, it's honoring to the Lord. And that leads me to say what I'm about to say. 
None of those documents, when they're finished and presented to the church, none of those guidelines, none of those promises that we will make to each other through the church covenant, and none of the bylaws that will be written later on will be worth the paper on which they are written unless we believe those truths, embrace them, and unless we live them out in front of people, and unless we are truly committed to watching over one another in Christian love. I have known preacher friends of mine who got voted out of their church because people thought they, what, they didn't care about their church, they didn't visit right, they didn't watch over their church like they should, and maybe some of those I know probably should have been asked to straighten up. But after nearly five decades of preaching and pastoring, I've never known a church member to ever be questioned because he didn't care about his fellow brother or sister in Christ. Do you? Here's what I want to ask you to be praying about in relation to how we watch over each other in love. Number one, ask yourself if you know anyone in our church family, faithful or unfaithful, who has been overtaken in a fault. Do you know someone who's been caught in sin? That doesn't mean necessarily that they've robbed a bank or committed adultery. It can be anything from laziness to murder. But it's overtaken them. We have, we have an epidemic right now of laziness. And that's unbiblical. That's sin. Matter of fact, it's worse than being an infidel when a man won't provide for his family. It's what scriptures say. But ask yourself, do you know anyone in our church family who has been overtaken in a fault? Number two, ask yourself, first of all, am I truly saved? Am I born from the same womb that others in the church I attend are born? Am I willing to help watch over others in my church family? Am I willing to take responsibility for loving, caring, and helping to restore them? Thirdly, ask yourself, do I have the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Can I love people? Can I show self-control? Can I be patient? Can I show kindness? And can I show peace? I want you to pray about those things. As you pray about and hopefully take these questions seriously this week, I want to close by reading some encouraging words from the Apostle Paul to the young church at Thessalonica. I want you to listen to these tender and loving words that Paul writes to them. And may they be true of us. May they be true of me and my relationship to you as a pastor and in your relationship to each other. Listen to what Paul says to these young Christians. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before, and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. 
nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Then listen to how he explains his dealing with them. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Isn't that beautiful? Paul saying to the church at Thessalonica, they treated me awful. I could have come to you from Philippi with a chip on my shoulder, but I didn't do that. I came to you not out of deceit. I came to you in the best spirit I could come. And I was willing not to give you just the gospel, but I was willing to give you my very heart, my very soul. I gave you everything I could, and I was gentle among you. I didn't come in to bruise the reed or break the smoking flax. I came to deal gently as a nurse cherisheth her children. And I want to give this all to you because ye were dear unto us. When a man doesn't love his family, his family's going to suffer. When a mother doesn't love her family, the family's going to suffer. When a governor doesn't love his state, the state will suffer. When a president doesn't love his country, a country will suffer. When a pastor doesn't love his church, the church will suffer. And when God's people doesn't love each other, God's people will suffer. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye love one another. Restoration is possible. When God's people live a spirit-filled life and take responsibility to watch over one another. In just a minute after I pray, dozens of men will walk out of these doors, sit down behind the wheel of an automobile, and take full responsibility for the life of your wife and children. Full responsibility. Some of you will take responsibility into your own hands. Some of you will go home and check. You'll go places this evening and check on those. Some of you, as soon as we're over, will check your phone, as I will do in my study in a little while, to see if there's any needs my dad has, because I'm responsible to look after him. But as we walk out of here today, may we look at each other and understand there's responsibility and accountability here too. Brother, I still have never seen a prettier picture in the Word of God, any prettier picture than when that father was standing outside the house and that prodigal was coming home. For those who think that what we're doing here is about dismissing people and running people away and marking people off, and said, you're, you've, you've missed the whole 18 weeks I've been preaching. This is about restoration. This is about seeing Christ restore lives. And I pray to God that if I ever, if I'm ever overtaken in a fault, I pray to God somebody who loves me, somebody that I go to church with, will come to me in meekness and in love and help restore me back to my Savior. Because that's what Christ did for us. Father, we thank you this morning for the precious Word of God. You have been speaking to us.
very personally, very intimately, very convictingly, you have spoken to us these past few months, and you continue to today in this text. Lord, help us today. For those of us who know someone that's overtaken, may it begin today with a burden for prayer. May it begin with an examination of our own heart and asking you to get us ready for the restoration process. Lord, we hear the alarm. We hear the sirens. Lord, there's lives that are crumbling. There are people who need Christ. There are people who need to be touched by a message and a person from this church. People who need to hear that you care about them and that you can forgive them. There are people who are under enormous burdens they can't handle. They need somebody to help them. And I pray we'd be that people that would glorify you. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for every act of restoration that has ever occurred in this church. I know there's been some. Thank you for people who are reaching out now trying to help people. Thank you for all of those. May you enlarge our coast and may you increase the number of spiritual people who can help others come to Christ. We see the persecution that's coming. We understand the ensuing days of difficulty that's ahead. We see down the road, Lord, we see in the Scriptures where the only thing the church is going to have is the church and you. So may we today, like that early church, may we be willing to suffer, but may we love like the early church did. May we share our things in common, and may we truly care. Grant it, Lord, help me today to be meek. Help me to, to do things in the right spirit, the right way. And Lord, again, you raise up in this congregation restorers and men and women who care. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do. Give you praise and honor and glory. Meet with us tonight as we meet together. Help us as we study and hear your word. Watch over us this afternoon with your care. We'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.